Beep boop. Hi, and welcome to Veterinary Journal Club, episode three, three. of Vet Books. Vet Books. Right? Yeah, episode three of Vet yeah. Books. The chapter plus one. Chapter plus one. <laughs> so, uh, for those of you that are listening only and have not started watching us on YouTube, um, just a reminder, we are, are also recording these um, and we put them up on YouTube. Um, it's just us sitting. On it's, a chair yeah, it's couch. not that exciting. Yeah, there's no, um, there's no you know, graphics, right, so. but right now I think it's my parents is our is our YouTube audience. I think four people watched the last one. I think half of those are my parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they are very much enjoying how uh, Hippo demonstra- our cat demonstrates how very much he loves Topher more than me. Um, but also you got called out <laughs> for throwing his fur behind the couch. Yeah. So you can also um, pick up on the silly little things we do if you want to watch uh, if you want to watch us on YouTube. Um, but listening is also cool. So yeah, at any rate, welcome back for uh, episode three. And chapter two, which might be confusing, but that's okay. So uh, as a reminder, we're going through the uh, Small Animal Critical Care Medicine, second edition, edited by uh, Silverstein and Hopper. And now we're going to be talking about chapter two, which is the physical examination and daily assessment of the critically ill patient. And this chapter was authored by Dr. Tim Hackett. And yeah. So this is kind of a continuation. This is, you know, the first chapter was triage, that initial brief assessment. Um, But now here we're talking about, you know, critically ill hospitalized patients. And uh, now we need to make time to do a much more thorough assessment. And so this chapter is kind of divided into that, like the full physical exam and and what are the critical care things you need to focus on. Obviously doing after triage. Yeah. You've done the triage already. Yeah, I mean, and really you've done the triage and you've probably done, like you've done your first full physical exam and your assessment and you probably oh. have, uh, the way at least how I think about this, now you have uh, either a diagnosis maybe or, you know, at least an idea of where things are going in a plan, but this is a hospitalized patient. That's how I think about it. If it's by definition, by definition, if it's critically ill, it probably shouldn't be at home. Yeah. Um, so it's in the hospital for any length of time. This could be for hours, days, weeks, but what kind of assessment are we doing once they're there and, uh, and, and how that is. So, uh, you know, this is really about monitoring that patient. And the most important monitoring tool we have is our physical exam, like our ability to look at our patients. Um, so I really like that, um, you know, that's kind of how it starts out. Like you just need to do an assessment on your patient at least once a day. And if they're critically ill, probably multiple times a day. Probably like a casual physical exam every time you walk by. Walk well, by. yeah, you might do portions mm. of a physical exam. There's just the like visual observation. Yeah. Oh, he's looking worse. We should probably do more. Visual Uh, observations are incredibly important. You don't always have to put your hands, you don't have to put your hands on them necessarily every hour. Um, But so we do a lot of visual observations and that's important just for, um, you know, depending on again, the, the status of the patient, this is all very fluid, but allowing the patient to rest is pretty important. And if you're poking yeah. and prodding them constantly, they, they, they aren't able to rest. There are times when we have to poke them and prod them constantly. And usually that's for a relatively, hopefully short period of time. But when we get them through a crisis, then it's like, okay, let's give them a chance to rest. Uh, again, you know, every case is different, but, um, so, but doing a good thorough physical exam at least once a day is, is really crucial. And, and for some of these patients, 
parts of this at least are going to happen more than once a day. And because they're critical. So yeah, by stuff's definition. happening fast. Exactly. Things are changing yeah. frequently. Hopefully so, for the better. Hopefully, but not always. Um, frequently not, actually. So, you know, there's a, there's a good thorough overview in this chapter of what, you know, physical exam things really need to focus on. Um, and, and it's nice to remember what kind of information, like how much information you can actually get just by doing a good physical exam. Um, I think it, it's easy for us to start to rely on all the the fancy gadgets and tools and tricks and things that we have. And they're lovely and really helpful. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we say this all the time. I say this all the time. We treat patients, not numbers, right? Like not data. That stuff is really helpful. And then we have to, but we have to interpret that and we have to interpret it in light of what's going on with our patients. Yeah, it's kind of so like if, an athlete, like if Usain Bolt had high cholesterol, but he's still the fastest man in the world. You wouldn't like, be like, you know, you need to lower your cholesterol and you might be I would faster. actually say the rest of us need to achieve whatever cholesterol level St. Bolt has. That's probably the optimal cholesterol level and the rest of us doctors yeah, were just be. wrong before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, you're right. You know, you have to say, let's look at what's going on. Is this working yeah. for this patient? You can have bad numbers, um, but if you're have no problems. Right. And similarly, you can have great numbers and be dying. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you don't just be like, oh, well, the numbers say everything's fine. So I guess, I guess you're not dying. Good news. Like, pff, no, that, that's not how it works. So you do have to look at your patient um, and, and you know, make these decisions, um, how to interpret that, you know, all in light. None of these not any of these things that you're going to do during a physical exam, any of the things you find, any of the monitoring tools you do can be interpreted in a vacuum, right? You have to always look at the big picture, just like the example you gave with cholesterol. If you only looked at cholesterol as a marker of health, that would, like, it doesn't even make logical sense. Of course you wouldn't do that. Um, and lots of things can impact all of the different parameters we would monitor. Um, but the other thing, and I, I really love this, I was looking for this specifically. This is really important. When talking about monitoring. Um, where is this in the chapter? It's really important to drive home the point, And this is something that I say over and over again, monitoring in and of itself does nothing, right? Like yeah. having a monitoring tool in place, name that monitoring tool. If you're going to measure temperature, if you're going to measure heart rate, you're going to measure ECG, whatever, whatever data you're collecting, the monitoring itself doesn't do anything. And so it ha it's, it's what do you do with that information that matters? So if you are monitoring something, the only way you can have an impact on your patient is if it's associated with some sort of action. If certain findings, certain results of that monitoring lead you to behave in a certain way, then it's useful. Um, and if there is no behavior attached to the monitoring tool and there's nothing you plan to do, you shouldn't even do it. Like that drives me bonkers. Let's monitor this and like write it down yeah. and create a bunch of work for my technicians. I'll see when um, we And get also there. I'm not going to do anything about it. Like, blah, <laughs> no. It's like going to a restaurant. It's like, we're going to drive somewhere. But what restaurant do you want to go to? We're just going to drive. Yeah. We're not even going to eat there. We're going to drive. Yeah. We're going to smell the food and then we're going to, we're going to drive away. Yeah. And we're going to um, stop at some point and there'll be an Applebee's. <laughs> I don't know where this analogy went. <laughs> you lost me a little bit. Um, so anyway, th that, I think that it's such, it seems like such a simple point, but such an important one to drive home. And it's actually, I see this, like, this is a mistake that we make all the time. I actually see people make this mistake where they're like, they feel like they want to monitor something all the time. I'm worried about this patient. So I'm going to monitor it all the time. 
and then I'm not going to do anything about it. I just, I just, I want somebody else yeah, to write this down. You want to do something at one point, and then you get there, and you're like, you just decide not to do it. Oh, we'll give it a little longer. Well, I think what happens too is people are like, I'm going to monitor this, and then uh, I'm going to create some what we call call parameters, right? So, like, I want to be notified if this value falls outside of whatever range, and then you get you get called about it, and you go. Okay. Okay. And then you move on. You're like, no, when you're writing like for students, okay. When you're thinking about this and you have a patient that's being hospitalized and you're being asked to fill out the treatment and monitoring plan and you're thinking about your, your call parameters, at what point do you, or your clinician, do you want your clinician woken up in the middle of the night for this patient? What you should be thinking right now at the time is if it, if the, this parameter falls outside of this range, what do I think we should do about it? And if the answer to that is, continue monitoring yeah. <laughs> then your call parameters or your monitoring is, is yeah, wrong. I guess you don't even need to have a specific decision made to know that a decision needs to be made. Right. But you should think about yeah, what that decision something is. should happen. That decision could be check this other parameter. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be a treatment or an intervention necessarily, but there should be some behavior attached to it. So for example, if you, um, you know, an example of this would be a patient, it's a post-op patient, had surgery and, you know, anytime they've had surgery, we surgeons cut things and, you know, bleeding is an issue. So you're saying, okay, well, I want to monitor the patient's heart rate. And if the heart rate starts to climb, it starts to get high, that could be a marker of hemorrhage. It could be a marker of lots of things, but I'm specifically worried about hemorrhage in this patient. So I'm going to put on my treatment orders, um, monitor the heart rate so often, you know, every six hours say, and if the heart rate falls outside of this range, so if it goes above 140 beats per minute, because this patient it's been hanging around around the 110s. So if it goes 140 beats per minute, the next thing I want you to do, so you're going to tell your overnight staff or whoever's there when you're not, to say, if the heart rate exceeds 140 beats per minute, I would like you to check a PCV and total solids. I want you to check and see if this patient has started to become anemic. I also want you to check the gum color, um, the capillary refill time, pulse quality. I want you to look for the other things that could suggest bleeding and then call me with the results. So th that's the action that was attached to that monitoring tool and the result of the monitoring when it fell out. That's totally fine. And then they call you and you say, okay, I have this information. All right, the PCV is holding steady. The um, you know gum color is okay. You think pulse quality is fine. All these other parameters are good. So now I have to interpret that information and decide, well, maybe that tachycardia, that increased heart rate was due to discomfort or anxiety. And then you can ask some other questions. But like there was at least an action associated with it. It doesn't have to be an intervention every time. Sometimes it is. Sometimes if the heart rate goes above this, you're already anticipating that patient, then I want you to give a, a bolus of this pain medication and then reassess the pain, reassess the heart rate, and then call me at that point. Like you need to have a plan. Um, if there's, it's just the yeah, most frustrating almost, thing in the world. It should be like a, like a Boolean logic thing. If mm -hmm. this, if this, then, then that. this. Exactly right. And then blah, blah, blah. Wow. Yeah. And you should think about that when you're creating your monitoring plan, because otherwise it's just arbitrary numbers. Yeah. If this, then okay. Yeah. So my, the other thing is your call parameters should be catered to this patient in this moment in time. Um, and again, another classic example of this, we, we monitor temperature pretty regularly, um, pretty normal that at least a couple of times a day and sometimes more frequently. And, and there's this natural tendency for a, like a patient presents with a fever 
And so people are like, we got to check the temperature all the time. Every, every four hours, we're going to stick this stick in the patient's butt and we're going to just, I need to note what this fever is. And then we're going to put on our call parameters. Um, call, if they're, we're just going to put our standard normal. If it's less than 99 and a half and it's greater than 102 and a half, I want to be called because those are normal. And so when this patient who has a fever, we recheck the temperature and it still has a fever. Are you, are you want to be called about that? Are you going to do something? Mm-hmm. And if, if the answer is yes, then I'm going to be like, why didn't you do that before? And if the answer is no, then why are you one sticking the thermometer in its butt all the time? And two, why are you ask why are you asking to be woken up in the middle of the night for something that you knew already was there? It was happening all the time. Like what? Why are you doing this to yourself? This is silly. Don't do this. Anyway, so call parameters should be adjusted for the patient. Um, they should also oh, getting a work message. Let me just see if this is something important real quick. Hang tight. Wait, I got just the thing. Uh, I got to be in the right spot. Oh, yeah, this is good stuff. Dead air. (laughs) At work calls, you know? We'll see how that goes. I'm not actually even on call, but that's okay. I mean, I'm always on call. All right, continue. What was I saying? Uh, some junk about monitoring. <laughs> yeah, um, You're on a soapbox somewhere. So you can probably. I'm move never. I am never on soapboxes. I that's I. I live there. <laughs> I live. <laughs> I love soapboxes. I live on soapboxes. Um, I mean, so the, oh, what? I was just thinking, good. like a fun project for um, some of your students. You could do a soapbox car race, and they each take one of your like heaves and they make like a a race car and that would have to have, be like an entire train with all of my yeah well you got like a hundred students that's oh each they year. each have one yeah yeah they could each they have, have two. Or, they could each have two or three and we have some pretty good hills in blacksburg so they that's can get true pretty fast yeah soapbox um, car race yeah just with just just connor's soapboxes <laughs> there's plenty yeah i do have a number of them you know i care i'm passionate I think this stuff's really important. And I want to drive the point home. That's why we have a podcast. <laughs> so I can so I could go off on my tangents and I can have my soapboxes. Um, so the second half of this chapter really focuses on the monitoring and and um, relates or kind of uses Kirby's rule of 20 um, for monitoring critically ill patients. And that's a, a commonly referenced kind of list of 20 things. Kirby, um, the pink puffy cloud guy. Exactly. Yeah. Do you not Obviously. know who the real Kirby is? I want to say it's Rebecca Kirby, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Ooh. Was that one of the quiz oh. questions? Oh, no, our cats are fighting. Do it on <laughs> camera so people know. Get over here. Anyway, um, yeah, it, I just, I'm not 100% sure. All right, I'll look it up while you talk. Yeah, look it up. I think it's Rebecca Kirby. Let's see if I get credit for this one. Um, but it's just, it's a list of, it's a checklist, right? It's just to kind of go through in your mind. Like these are the things I need to think about in a critically ill patient. Um, and so it's, it's helpful in that regard. Checklists are helpful just to be like, did I remember that? Did I think about that? Um, so this chapter kind of goes through each of those very, very briefly. Um, I mean like each of those 20 things could have its own chapter realistically. And some of them are their own chapter or multiple chapters in the books. So we'll get to them later. Um, but again, it's, it's meant to be like just a quick checklist for this patient. Did I think about X, Y, and Z, um, or rather one through 20 and, um, 
for some patients, depending on what they're in for, certain things will be more important than others. And that it's totally reasonable, but it's just a way to be like, go through, you might be like, not super worried about that in this patient. So I'll, you know, have a thought about it and then move on. And other things you're like, oh yeah, we really need to spend a fair bit of time thinking about that or monitoring that in this patient. But it's just, it's a way to make sure that you didn't miss things just because you forgot them. Uh, so that's, I think, where Kirby's Rule of 20 really comes in. And, drum roll? It is uh, Rebecca Kirby. Okay. I got it off of uh, Vet Girls website. Oh. Just a slightly, also, also a a slightly better podcast. Ouch. <laughs> it's like you're not part of this podcast. Um, no, another podcast. Uh, and you should totally listen to Vet Girl. And I think a lot of you probably do. Um and so a reliable source. So, okay, I was right. I thought it was Rebecca Kirby, but yeah. all right. Yay. Your first thought is usually the right one when you're out there taking tests. Just go with it. Um, and then sometimes you'd be wrong, but that's okay too, because you tried. I, th- I mean, that's that's the main thing. That's, it's not a particularly like complicated chapter. It's not a lot of complicated information, but really important information. And I actually really do like how it's um, organized. And and again, it was really important to me that um, Dr. Hackett emphasized the things that I also think are important. <laughs> so is it game time? Is that it for it? All I right. think so. I, th- I mean, yeah, I didn't need to go into a lot of detail. Like I said, a lot of these things will be covered in more depth in other chapters. So um, what's that sound? It sounds like a bee or a butt. It must be the spelling bee. Oh, my God. Okay, so we're probably going to go through all these games repeatedly, but the first time we play them, I don't know about them. This is going to be literally a spelling bee. It's a spelling bee. Is the buzzing going to... Okay. I can stop the buzzing. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. Do I have to close the book? Oh, yeah. Close the book. <laughs> it's got the words in it. I don't know what I'm going to be spelling. All right. The first word is dosage. Dosage. Do I have to do the whole like dosage? No, you just spell it. Okay. D-O-S-A-G-E. Dosage. I have to say it and then spell it. It's going to get harder, I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm a pretty good Next word is antibiotic. Antibiotic. A-N-T-I-B-I-O-T-I-C. Antibiotic. Yep. Doing my like spelling B format. The next word is capillary. Capillary. C-A-P-I-L-L-A-R-Y. Capillary. All right. Next you have mucus, as in mucous membrane. Okay. So it's the adjective form, which means M-U-C-O-U-S, mucus. I put that one in there because you talked about it. (laughs) Yeah, you knew I was going to get that one. (laughs) The next word is auscultation. Auscultation. A-U-S-C-U-L. T-A-T-I-O-N, auscultation. All right. The next word is Hackett, as in Tim Hackett, (laughs) Hackett. the author of the chapter. Hackett, capital H-A-C-K-E-T-T, Hackett. Yes. All right. And the last word is logorrheic. Is what? Can you use that in a sentence, please? This podcast is logorrheic. Meaning, Bobby Connor has a lot of incoherent, talkative. Logorrheic? Yeah, logorrheic. Can you tell me the the language of origin? What are the other things they ask for in a spelling bee to Uh, stall? It's an English word. Oh, logorrheic. Just spell it. L-O-G-A. 
I've never, I don't, I've never even heard. Is this a real word? Yeah, it's a real word. Logorrheic? Yeah. L-O-G-O-R-R-H-E-I-C. It was the O. I was going to spell the rest of it that way, but I, I wasn't sure about the A With or two the R's? O. Yeah. I thought you wouldn't get the two R's. Oh, no, because like diarrhea and all of that, that's the same like suffix. Gotcha. That part I would have gotten <laughs> was the O and the A. Fine. I've literally never heard that word before. My dad's going to be so disappointed. Sorry, yeah. dad. I think I've maybe heard of the word before. Where did you come up with that? I just uh, Googled hard to spell words. <laughs> and and a lot of them were easy. It was like a handkerchief. and Hand and then kerchief. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I think pronunciation was one of them. Ooh, it's because it's pronunciation. Yeah. yeah. There, there was words like these are common words I spell all the time. This one was not. That was not. No, it was not a word I've. Yeah. Gotcha. I, I wasn't sure if I would get you. I thought maybe with the Hackett, but then I was like, she's going to look at the page and she's yeah. probably going to see the author's name. So she's going to know the second T. I'm a pretty good speller. Um, yeah. Yeah. In elementary school, I, I want a spelling bee. Yep. And that was the spelling bee. <laughs> that was a good one. I like it. I did pretty good. I didn't get 100%, which makes me a little sad, but. Yeah. The word you chose was mean. Yeah, I was trying to make you lose. Logoreic. Lo- and, and it means to just raw, like it's ramble like, on. Um, yeah, it's like incoherent rambling. But not I just rambling. I don't ramb- think I'm incoherent when I ramble. This this podcast is not logoreic. Sorry, my button didn't work. Is? Oh, maybe that's why we're logoreic. That was very logoreic-y. Logoreical? <laughs> logoreical. All right, I'm going to start using this um, in, in everyday life. I think it's really important. So, oh, wait, um, what's the next chapter? Oh, yeah, so, I don't know. Thank you. The for, next chapter is oh, chapter it's, three. Oh, no, it's CPR. It's CPR. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Dan Fletcher, Emmanuel Bowler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See you next time. Bye.